0: So, Revelation chapter one. This is following on from what we've been doing. This is what it says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. The NIV always winds me up slightly. So the the NIV uses the word behold instead of look. Because it's trying to be slightly grand. And then it goes forever and ever instead of eternal life. But anyway, never mind. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So I've got a three point sermon off the first half of the verse, and then a bit more to go off with the second half. Because <laughs> there's so much in these images. I hope you realise Revelation chapter 1, am going to do what Chris did this morning, a little bit of background. Revelation 21, uh, sorry, chapter 1 is a bit like an overture to um, an opera, or the introduction to a musical. Where you sit and the orchestra plays before the action happens, and you get all the themes and all the tunes that are going to come out, they all they're in that first piece of music you listen to. And that's what's happening here. We're we're seeing in Revelation a whole image and vision and amazing revelation of Jesus. But then as the the book goes on, and the letters in chapters 2 and 3, and then into the image of worship in chapter 4, and then all the really confusing chapters between 5 and, what, 22? (laughs) Something like that. It's all rooted here. It's all rooted in this vision. Uh, and even when you see the stuff, because we're not going to preach on into that, but even when you see the stuff about the pit of hell and be, the Satan being cast down, here we are. I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's all coming. So it, it's all rooted in this first chapter. So if you want the key to understand the rest of Revelation, understand the first chapter. Uh, that's, that's the idea. Actually, understand your Old Testament as well, because there's so much stuff in there. So, three points I've got, the commem- commencement of Jesus' ministry, the crux of his ministry and the culmination of his ministry, three C's, look at that, don't often do that but they, well two of them popped out so I went looking for the third one, <laughs> we'll see what happens, Jesus' ministry, the whole of, what Je- of who Jesus is and what he's doing is summed up in those first five words i am oh hang on i am who else said i am no the answer is jesus is the one saying it now who who else said it god i am who i am am. he reveals himself in the old testament again and again and then jesus eight there are eight different i am's in john's gospel and here we are i am But he doesn't mess around here with, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. He doesn't do that this time. He goes, I am the living one. And that that title, the living one, is very, very clearly stated in the Old Testament and in the New Testament time and time again. The whole of what Jesus does for us and who he is, is rooted in the fact that his existence is eternal. His existence is eternal. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is divine. His existence is eternal. From heaven you came, the hands that flung stars into space. Jesus is present at the creation. And here we are at Revelation, at the consummation of time. And Jesus is present. He is the living one. And more than that, he's taken our humanity up into the Godhead by being the incarnate son of God, he's become human for us and therefore has taken our humanity into that state of being eternal, I am the living one, he says. His existence is from eternity, actually was he present before creation? Was there time before... Oh, we better not go there. <laughs> there was no time, no measurable time. Before. There was, there was passing, but not the way we understand it and experience it. And he was. Well, and is, and will be. All at the same time. So he was, and is, and will be, all at the same time. Oh. Head hurts. But it's true. So everything about Jesus is because of his eternal existence. He lives beyond, or above, or around, or encompassing the limitations of time. I know Chris doesn't like me using the phrase outside time, so I've avoided it this time. He's beyond time, he's above time, he encompasses time. He's outside time as we experience it that doesn't mean he doesn't experience some form of existence that is continuous and moving but it's not the way we experience time which is why we can pray for something even after it's happened we don't realize and he can deal with it that means you don't pray for the past but we pray for something now and not realize something's already happened i've sent round to the a leadership team, a story of Steve Steve Abley. Some of us met Steve recently. He lost his wallet with his cards and his, all, all the rest of it. And he's frantic in his hotel room. He can't find stuff. So he retraces his steps. He rings the place he's been speaking at and playing at. Can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. As he's on the tube, is that right, Wendy? As he's on the tube, he feels a thud in his pocket. He feels like put his hand in his pocket, his wallet is in his hand. Now he's checked his jeans, he's checked everywhere. It's the same with the story we've, we, we tell about the keys, if you remember, down in Dorset, um, church warden, bless her, lost the front door key. Quite an expensive loss that, because 13th century door, all that. So it's okay, it's okay but we're gonna have to replace it. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we were literally, we were sitting in a side vestry, praying, and we heard outside. We came back out and the keys were literally sitting in the middle of the aisle, which we'd all walked up and down several times. God can do this stuff. He's beyond the physical and the temporal and he's beyond he's supernatural. And that word supernatural, he's above the natural. He's beyond. And if he's not, and you don't think of him as beyond, then he's not God. And your words will not bother. Because that's who he is. And that's who Jesus is. He is the living one. And what he's saying here he's invoking the name of his father again and again. I'm going to run through a number of scriptures quite quickly here. But just so we can see, what does it mean to be the living one, as in God's God is the living one. This is Deuteronomy. What mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? So all these things show us what the living God does. The living God, the living God, the living God. Jesus says the living one. He's referring us back. The living God speaks How did creation come to be, God? Spoke. That's so important. And remember, it's not the written word that is the key, it's the spoken word that is key. He spoke and it was the power of the spoken word. And then he's revealed himself in the person who is the word. And yes, he's revealed himself in the written word that is the scripture. But the creation word, The first word is the spoken word. Who's ever heard the voice of the living God? Yeah? You on prayer team? We've heard the voice. We may not have heard the audible voice of the God, but he's spoken to us. Because this is Old Testament. The the living God, the living one speaks. Jesus speaks. Joshua 3.10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. He will certainly, I'm just showing off here, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gokushites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. They're not that that difficult really. Just be careful with the one, two from three from the end. (laughs) The living God drives out his people's enemies. What are our enemies? Sin. Death. Sickness. Oh. See the other one? Oh Satan. That's the other one. Yeah, I remember. We say that in the Creed. He's defeated sin. Death. Sickness. Satan. Even the world. The world is set against us, remember? They may be lovely people talking to somebody this morning saying um how can i pray for my friend who's going to see a medium i went um quickly fervently or can i buy it?" no because this person's not a christian and the person the non-christians defense of going to see a medium is oh but they're such a nice person well they probably are you know they probably are but don't just because they're a nice person doesn't mean Apparently the conversation, well why don't you want me to go? Because it's dangerous. It is. But defeated if you're in Christ. If you know Jesus. So we've seen situations in ministry, Wendy and I have seen this several times. Well, all that person has to do is take authority over Satan and be fine. Hang on, is that person born again? No, no, not yet. Well, please don't do it. Don't do it. Because they don't have authority. If, if somebody who's not born again takes authority over a demon, the demon turns around and goes, well, hey, here we go, straight in, because they're treading on ground that's not theirs. It's only if you're born again. Now, the problem we've got is the people who are born again who are Christians don't know how much authority they do flipping have and won't take authority. <laughs> but sometimes we let people take authority in places which is, it's, no, just don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Because otherwise they'll, they'll get battered, blatted, blatted, battered, both by it. Was that Joshua? One Samuel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That phrase often comes, the armies of the living God, the armies of the living God. It comes again and again. And this is um, in the middle of David and Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Forget the fact he's about 14 foot tall and huge. Who is this man? What's happened here? Saul has gone, oh, I'm scared. The army has gone, oh, we're scared, because partly because Saul has been scared. David's brothers have gone, who are you? And David's standing, going, No, who is this Philistine that he should mock and defy the armies of the living God? The the living armies of Jesus cannot be defied. 2 Kings 19. Give ear, O Lord. Oh, what does God do? He doesn't just speak, he listens. And here, open your eyes, O Lord. And, oh, so what else does God do? He sees, listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Those standing against God are insulting him. They're mocking him. Listen, Lord, open your eyes, see it. Can you listen to what's being said about you? Now, of course, God knows. But these are the things that... The living God does. He sees and he hears. It's easier with Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus is human. So, of course, Jesus sees and hears and all the rest of it. But God is exactly the same. That's why Jesus is a perfect representation of God. Psalm 42 2 says this My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So, this thirst for God isn't some. Weird, strange spiritual yearning, it's meeting with a person. Where can I go and meet with him? Where's my hunger for him? Where's my desire for him? You know, when you're going to see a friend you haven't seen for a long time after lockdown, that you're going to meet up and see old school friends? Oh, you did that. Yeah, I saw somebody on Friday night I've not seen for a while, and we've been friends since we were 12. And blah, 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 blah. And actually, you get a bit excited about seeing people? don't you know, going to see the in-laws, you haven't, seen. no, we won't go there. Uh, but but you know what, it, that sense of excitement, rather than, well, I suppose we better go to church this Sunday and we'll be fine. Really? You'd be excited about meeting with God. You'd have to be excited about meeting with me or Chris, that's fine, you yeah. know. But meeting with God and doing it together. Do you hunger and thirst? Where can I go and meet with God? Where do you need to go to meet with God? You don't need to go to church, actually. You can meet with God right here, right now, right I know we're in church. But any 24 /7, right here right now, because He's with you. He's in you. He's done everything to be as close to you as he possibly can. So why don't we thirst and hunger after him? And notice it's my soul thirst, not my spirit. It's my soul, it's my imagination, it's my emotions, it's that psyche, it's that inside ring. Does that inner life thirst after the living God? Jeremiah 10.10. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. He has this eternal sovereignty when he is angry the earth trembles now we don't like thinking of God as angry but he is we don't God is love yeah but he's angry I'll tell you what if he wasn't angry at sin and he wasn't angry at the things we think are wrong We'd soon be cross with him for not being angry. But we don't like God who's angry because he can't be angry because he's love. And let, but he's got to be angry at the things I want him to be angry with, but not angry with the things that I might have done wrong. Can't do, you know, we can't do anger. We can't, no, God doesn't have any anger. I've had that from somebody recently. Yeah. God, God, can't, God can't be a lion. Did you know that? Apart oh, from the scriptures saying he is. Anyway, but you can't be a lion because the lion is angry and brutal. God's power is beyond what we can imagine and is brutal. Yet in his grace and his loving mercy, his said, he loves us and he is our father. He is our friend. We are his beloved. The earth trembles, the nations cannot endure his wrath. You've seen the pictures of you Ukraine this week? It's horrible, isn't it? It's absolutely horrible you see the pictures that are horrible of places that are devastated by natural disaster and all the rest of it when God comes again when Jesus comes a second time for those who do not know him it will be so much worse it will be horrible because they will then have no hope but he's a God of love and his desires that no one should perish that's why we're called to witness and to draw people in before the second coming it's not that God wants them to perish it's their choosing to perish but it will be horrible on that day I think even we're gonna be a bit scared because he's, he's beyond what we can imagine he is the living God I'm still on the first phrase of that verse 18 aren't I? No, Daniel 6:26 I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And this is um, Nebuchadnezzar and he's going, "For he is the living God." oh okay, cool. this is always in comparison to the false idols who are not alive. He is the living God and he endures forever, his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end apart from my kingdom because he's not my God sorry that doesn't say it out there but that's what happens but you get people invoking the bible and invoking God and all the rest of it in politics and all the, across the planet and they say well he is the living God he, his kingdom will not be destroyed his dominion will never end and then they're quite surprised when they get taken down because they're the ones in the way of his dominion and his hmm. Matthew 16, let's go, let's go New Testament, shall we? Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His the disciples picking up their Jewish understanding of the living God and saying, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Matthew twenty two thirty two. 32. I am the God of Abraham. This is Jesus speaking. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Just think about that for a moment. So you know those saints who are dead, does that mean he's not their God? Just think about it for a moment. They're not dead. Aha! They're physically dead, but spiritually they're not dead. So he's the God of the living. All those who have died in Christ, are alive in Christ. We may not see them at the moment. We may not see them to the resurrection, but because it's beyond time, their experience—we've been there. I'm not going there again. But He is the God of the living, not the dead. Why are you messing with my church? Well, is He your God? If He's your God, then this is your church. If He's not your God, sorry. Do you have a say? He's the God of the dead. Sorry, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Read what's there, Laurie, I'll make it up as you go along. It's easier. Romans 9. i only got two or three of these more to go. Romans 9. It will happen in this very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. I haven't sung sons and daughters of the living God for a long time, but... Maybe we should at some point. You don't have to tonight, Johnny. <laughs> he wasn't listening. This one. Well, 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Into, into passages we've been using recently. Uh, you, sh- you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The Spirit of God is known as the Spirit of the Living God. Jesus is the Son of the Living God. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Living God. The Father is the Living God. You got the phrase yet? 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the Living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That promise is absolutely right for us now so it means doesn't it we are the temple of the living god so it's when we're in here we meet with the living god is that right really where is the temple but it's also when we are together the temple is us joined together you cannot do christian faith on your own that is a push that's happening at the moment Or we can do faith apart from the church. Or we can do faith in little groups of five or six. No, you can't. You really can't. We've got to be connected. With all the itches and scratches and awkwardnesses that are there, we're family. Family isn't, nuclear family is not the family. Family is family and it's wide and deep. We got one more? 1 Timothy 3.15. If I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of the truth. What is the pillar and foundation of the truth? The Church. church. The ecclesia, the gathered people of God. I don't mean the Church of England, I don't mean the Orthodox Church, the... The, when we, I don't the Methodists, the Baptists I, I mean the church, the gathered people of God in a place, we happen to be Anglicans, well some of us do nearly, sort of this is the place of the living God so this is the start of his ministry this is what he's all about it's because he is the living God then the verse back to, back to revelation now we won't we won't be shifting off revelation now i'm the living one i was dead i'm the eternal living one who's lived from eternity to eternity and i was dead what but that's the crux of his ministry he was dead Beyond doubt that he was dead. And that's the point. Without that happening on the cross, everything else doesn't matter. It's the crux of his ministry. I use the word crux. What does the word crux mean in Latin? Cross. We now use it, we now use it to mean the, the heart of the matter, the core thing. Because the cross is the heart of the matter. And it's the core thing for the whole of flipping history and the whole of mankind. But you talk to most people, even in our land, of Christianity and they don't know of the cross. And partly it's because the cross is a bit messy, it's a bit as blood, and somebody gets killed, and it's oh so oh God loves you. Yet yeah, God loves you so much that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him should. Not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his only son who would become sin for you and be nailed to the cross. The crux of Jesus' ministry is that he was dead. So if the, it's if the a foundation, the commencement is he's the living one. The crux of the ministry is that he was dead. It's the climax, the crucial element of his ministry. I read this simple phrase. On the cross, he, he accomplished the incomprehensible, which I found really helpful. Because we don't fully comprehend what he did on the cross. We comprehend enough so that we can accept it and become, yes, Lord, I want to be a Christian. But I've been a Christian 30 years and I'm still growing in my understanding of what happened on the cross. And and it blows my mind on a regular basis. So, if you become a bit about the cross then maybe spend some time asking the Lord to show you What, what what was that about and be prepared to be a slightly disgruntled no discombobulated that's better it's a nicer word as well but be ready for that he accomplished the incomprehensible he died He defeated sin and the world and sickness and death and the devil. And he did it in the realm of death. He did it in Hades. I was dead. The older versions of the Bible don't have and, they have yet, which I get. The word is actually and, but they've. I was dead yet. Behold! It's the closest the Bible gets to. Look, I think Cassie, our dog, thinks she, she's actually called Oi. Because when I, I, mean, I can't call her by Cassie, she gets Oi and she comes. I'm not sure is that helpful really, but anyway, never mind. Look, I am the eternal living one. I was dead, beginning, crux. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I'm back to where I was. Actually, I've passed through death. This thing that is the problem for you. Death, is, death only exists because of sin. Sickness only exists because of sin. Not our sin, but the sin in the world that, that's come down through the fall. These things only exist because... And I've conquered them. I've overcome them. Death could not hold me. <coughs> I'm alive forever and ever, forevermore, look, but like Chris was saying this morning, and the passage said this morning, he, he gives us eternal life because he is the living one, but he also gives us eternal life because he died. So we we don't get it just because he's eternal, we get it because he became us and died. So therefore, the way through to resurrection, I'm really sorry, always goes through the cross. The Calvary Road always takes you through, if you've never read Calvary Road by Roy Hessin, please read it. Brilliant book, really thin and small. Won't take you very long at all. I normally recommend big books that are like this, don't I, but this one is a, a little book. Fabulous book, but the Calvary Road is always the way to fulfilment. We want, we want fullness of life, we're going to have to go through the cross. We want the life that Jesus has given us, the abundant life, it's going to go through the cross. The abundant life isn't going to be more and more and more and more. It's going to be more and more and sacrifice. And sacrifice. Oh, what you're sacrificing is flesh is not of God anyway. What you're sacrificing is your own desires, we aren't of God anyway. So when we're asked to sacrifice it's never, it's never the godly thing that we're asked to sacrifice. I've spoken a couple of times recently, sometimes the godly thing becomes the fleshly thing, that's the problem, that's the Isaac that you have to be willing to sacrifice. But it's always through the cross, I was dead, I'm alive forevermore, I'm alive Forever and ever. So, what does that mean? That's the culmination of his ministry. That's the third C. I got the crux and the culmination. It was the commencement I had to go looking for at the beginning. But there you go. This is the culmination. He's alive forevermore. And how do we know he's alive? Hello? Because <coughs> he dwells in us. The worst answer to the question I ever heard, which is also the most best question: How do I know Jesus is alive? I was talking to him this morning. It doesn't explain anything, but does explain everything, all at the same time. I was talking to him this morning. Well, I wasn't about the rest. About the rest of your church, I was. I was talking to him this morning. Keeps talking back. It's a bit worrying. What he's done, he says, I, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Well, hang on. If we go back to him being the living one, he already has authority. Keys, symbol of authority. Yeah. Keys are a symbol of authority. If you're a key holder, you have authority over a building or over a place. And it's fascinating. In 25 years of ministry nearly... There's nearly always been one or two keys in the church that they won't give me. I only got a key for the beacon flipping cupboard last week, week before. But it's something about the, there's something in the spiritual atmosphere. I'm I'm not joking. There's something in the spiritual atmosphere about we can't give him the full authority. We can't quite give him the full authority. Can't trust him with all the keys, you know. He might lose them. The church, I can't remember who it was was it, James, at my institution here? They gave me the keys to the door and then took them back off me. I didn't didn't get a key for this building for nearly six months, which is fun at 8 o'clock in the morning. Thank Thank God John Ogle was here. But I didn't. But it doesn't, I'm pleased, it doesn't matter, but there's something going on about authority. Jesus already had authority in eternity as the living one. What did he do with that authority when when we were created? He gave it to us. Look in Genesis chapter 1. He gave us dominion over the world. And what did we do with it? We went, oh, I've got authority. Oh, there's a snake. Oh, hold up for me a minute, will you?" And we gave that authority to Satan. So why has Jesus had to come and win it back and wrestle it back? Because of us. He hasn't had to get it back because he's lost it and needs to restore it to himself. He's got got to get it back because he gave it us and we gave it away the very next day I'm into it. I've got all George Michael in my head, (laughs) stop it. I'm going to have to come into land in a moment and fall over. But he's had to come and wrestle it back. And that's the sense. I've now got the keys of death and Hades back. It doesn't say it in the Greek, but that's the sense of what he's saying. I've got it back, despite what you did. And because I was dead and I'm alive forevermore, I've got it back. I've got it back. He takes back what was his. He has authority. The Jewish understanding of God having authority... It is an understanding that God has a key of life, a key to the graves, a key of food, and a key of rain. A key of life, a key of graves, a key of food, and a key of rain. Dominion was given to us, but we gave it away. Jesus retrieves this authority, his authority, through Calvary. Put your glasses on, Laurie. He wrested the keys from Satan. He holds the keys of death and Hades. Hades is the place of death, but it's also the Greek god of death. What's happened on Calvary is death is dead. Death has been killed killed for those who wish to take hold of that truth. Not physically. Though we are wasting away, as Chris mentioned this morning. But spiritually. And when the end comes, Hades, the place of death, must give up its dead. Everyone will rise from the dead, you know that. Everyone will rise from the dead. Some for judgment and destruction. Others for resurrection and glory. I know which side of that fence I want to be standing. And Jesus has made that possible. But this authority that was Jesus' authority was given to us, we gave to Satan, that Jesus now taken back and he now holds the keys of death and Hades. Where is Jesus now? So where is the locus of authority now? In us. We have authority, this, I love this Jewish understanding, over life graves food and rain so we have authority over life we should be those that give life not that we just have life we were talking about the difference about that in the week weren't we jackie we can have life but we need to be life giving so we should see healing regularly there's too much serious illness around at the moment it's not right in people who are too young to have these things we have the gift we have the key of life we have the key of healing in us who is Jesus that is ours already we have the key over the grave that doesn't mean well I think it could mean we can raise people from the dead and maybe it should mean that but it definitely means we can witness to people to bring them into a relationship with Jesus so that they can defy the grave eternally that's the key. That's the main key we have. The grave cannot hold them. You know? I want to stand with a load of people, not out of pride, but I want to stand with a load of people who turn and go, Thank you for telling me about Jesus. I just want to. Again, it's not pride. It's one because I want to go, Yes. Because most of them I won't realise I've done it. And I'll thank the people who did it for me. And we have the key over food, over provision. Doesn't mean we're greedy, doesn't mean we have huge amounts, doesn't mean we have a lot, but we have the key over provision. Jared and Charlina, that's what they're working at. And Jared uh, was talking to me about this before they went. They said, but we, we, the provision for the refugees in eastern Poland, we've got to find a way of unlocking this. We've got plenty. We can sort of, it's hard, it's difficult, it's not straightforward, but it's there. It's like when churches find themselves financially in dire straits. We've got a few things coming up and we're not charging for this that, and the next thing, but our finances at the moment are not good. Yeah? If, everybody, if everybody in church, not just us, any church, everybody tithed or even gave 5%, There's plenty there's a key somewhere to unlock the whole flipping thing. So I heard somebody say one of I think it was one of the bands said that they preached and said it's not that we haven't got enough money it's just most of it's in your flipping pockets. Now I'm not saying that to you but I'm just giving you that as an illustration but if it's true then it's fine. But you understand we have a key over life to heal, we have a key over the grave to bring people to faith, we have key over food, over provision, and we have a key over rain, that refreshment, that sense of the spirit coming. Do we want to see revival? Do we want to see the spirit break out amongst us? Or will it be too uncomfortable, or too difficult? The word that Cathy gave a few weeks ago, do we want to control it so it fits nicely into our ways of doing things like has happened before? Or do we want to see people revived bring the rain lord bring the, please Well, how many of us when the spiritual rain comes we'll stick our umbrellas up because we don't want to get wet he is the living one and he dwells in us he was dead and is alive and he dwells in us and he has authority over all these things and he dwells in us